You are listening to the Long Hollow Students Podcast. For more information and to stay updated, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at LH Students. Oh, baby. Hey, happy Wednesday, everybody. How everybody doing? Good. Hey, I said, how's everybody doing? Everybody good? There it is. There it is. We can bring the lights up a little bit. We can bring the lights up a little bit. Um, man, I'm excited to be here with y'all tonight. Um, and we're going to continue in our, our worship um, through the reading of Scripture as we dive in and continue our series, um, I'm Not Who I Was Was. And so, man, we, we're excited to kind of keep, keep on chugging along as we dive into lives and encounters of people who had encounters with Jesus. And so as we dive into these, these stories, man, just, man, please keep in, in mind that these people have had lives changed. And, man, our hope in this series is that some of you may hear a story and relate to it, and it, as a result have your life changed also. So, man, in true fashion, let's go ahead and stand as we read tonight's passage in John chapter 4. We will consider verses 1 through 16 together. And this is what it says. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing but his disciples were, he left Judea and went to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sinkar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone to town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you a you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from the water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a wellspring springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't, be, won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband. He told her, and come back. Let's pray. God, thank you for how awesome you are. God, thank you for this water, this living water. God, pray, I pray today that we would hear this passage, God, and relate to it. And God, that, that the thirst in this room will be quenched, God. The thirst of the middle school students in this room will be, will be quenched finally. Those who thirst for something greater in this life, that this living water that we give Jesus 
the life that he gives, that he brings through his word, that that would be what quenches the middle school kids in this room tonight. So God, would you reveal yourself through your scripture? I pray these things in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, now I'm excited to present this passage. This is a very kind of weighty but good passage for us to consider to get together as middle school. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to dive into her brokenness. We're going to dive into the women, the woman at the well's brokenness and her helplessness to fix her brokenness. So, yes, we were going to identify that she's broken and she's in need of a savior, but we're also going to identify that she is helpless to fix her own brokenness. She is helpless to fix herself. And we're going to see how Jesus pursued her and changed her life forever. And, and that's our big idea. That's the big idea I want you guys to all walk away with, is that Jesus pursues the outcast. Jesus pursues the outcast. And that is the big idea I want you guys to walk away with. And so there's something about being pursued as a people. There's something in us that enjoys the idea of being pursued of being loved, of being chased after. Because if we're honest, that nobody wants, everybody wants to be wanted. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be accepted. Everybody wants to be pursued. Everybody wants to be loved and accepted. Everybody wants that. No one wants to feel this more than a, guy, a girl or guy being adopted. And some of, you, some of your heads pop up because some of you have been adopted before. Some of you guys know the process of adoption. Some of you guys remember being in foster homes and waiting for somebody to adopt you. Some of you guys know what that feels like to, man, to wait and say, hey, does anybody want me? Does anybody want me as a son or daughter? Some of you guys know exactly what that feels like. And on the flip side, you guys know what it feels like to, to be wanted. So you guys have that feeling of, man, why doesn't anybody want me? As you sit in a foster home when, you, when you're, you're, they're not your real parents yet and it's not official, it's not legally official, you have that feeling of, man, I, I, I want to be wanted, I want to be loved, I want to be accepted, I want to be a child of somebody's home. So this process of adoption it, can, it happens for many different reasons. Sometimes the mom and dad just really can't afford to take care of a child. And sometimes the mom and dad have made poor decisions in life. And it's not safe for the kid to be with mom and dad anymore. Or sometimes you get crazy stories where mom and dad would just abandon children and leave them to fend for themselves. And kids are found in foster homes with those kind of baggage, it's really hard. But whatever the situation is, the process usually stays the same for adoption. A mom and dad will get this detailed file of, of a child. And so they, they're going through this detailed file where it lists kind of everything good and bad that this child's ever done, if, depending on how old they are. If they're babies, then there's not much. But you get a detailed list of this case file, this human being. And as you go through this case file and you look at all the details, all the good and bad, and you may even have time to spend with them. And then after a certain amount of time, you get to make a choice of, man, do you want to adopt this child? Do you want to pursue this child? Do you want to give this child a home? Mom and dad get to make this decision. 
And so they have to figure out, man, what they're going to do. They've seen all the good and bad. And understand that there's nothing hidden in these files. These files detail everything. Nothing is hidden in these files. So they know everything. And that's our first point. Our first point is Jesus brings what is hidden to light. Because that's exactly what happens in this woman's life. As we're going to read here. Man, everything that was hidden in her life was kind of brought to the surface as Jesus encounters her. Jesus brings what is hidden to light. So we just read this in verse 16. He, Jesus t- says to her, go call your husband, <laughs> he told her, and come back here. Verse 17, I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus, when he encounters this, like, so he encounters her at this well, and he starts to dialogue with her, and he says, he goes straight for the heart. He goes straight for the heart, and he says, listen, where, where's your husband? Go get your husband to come back here, knowing, knowing that this woman had had five different husbands and was not with her husband right now. It was just a regular man, regular dude. And so he calls her out. He exposes. He, he brings what was hidden to light immediately in a dialogue with her. And what, is, what was hidden is not hidden anymore. And so why was Jesus doing it? Why, why would Jesus do this so abruptly? Well, if we go back through Jesus' life, I mean, we would see that whenever he has a dialogue with somebody, man, he goes straight for the heart. He goes straight for the issue. He does not sugarcoat anything. And he goes straight for, man, what the real sin problem is, which is the heart. Understand that Jesus is calling us to a life of repentance. He's calling us to a life of repentance. So he, going, he goes straight for the sin in our life. Because understand this, middle school. When you don't repent, it's hard to have a relationship. Let me say it again. When you don't repent of your sin, it's hard to have a relationship with Jesus. And so the first step of for asking for forgiveness when you are coming to Jesus for salvation is the first step is always repentance. Recon- recognizing your sin and saying, Jesus, I repent of my sin. Recognizing that you have sinned against the holy and righteous God and asking him to forgive you of that sin, accepting what he has done on the cross for you. So let, let's, let's, let's paint the scene a little bit as we start to walk through this. Let's paint the scene because I want you guys to get the full weight of what happens here. So Jesus has decided that he is going to go to Galilee. And, man, because th- th- things are getting kind of crazy and so the, disciples, the Pharisees are getting mad because, man, they're seeing that there's a movement starting to happen. And, man, they're trying to figure out, man, why is Jesus baptizing more people than John? And, and you know, Jesus wasn't really baptizing. It says that his disciples were. So the Pharisees are getting stirred up. So he decides that he's going to leave. And he takes this, this trip to Galilee. And he goes straight through Samaria. And, and, and we'll talk about that in just a second of why that's significant. And he goes straight through and he gets there and he's tired. And he calls, her, he calls her out on her sin. And how does she respond? This is how she responds. She says, 
Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. So she literally is called out on her sin. Jesus calls her out on the, the many husbands she's had and the one she's with is not her husband. And she literally goes back and says, oh, you're a prophet. Like literally deflects exactly what he was talking about. He, she deflects the issue and talks about how he's a prophet. Not that she's had many husbands, not that she's with a man living with him that's not her husband. Not, no, but that he is a prophet. Man, how many times do we do that with our sin? Man, do, how many times do you deflect away from your sin personally? How many times when you are called out of your lifestyle by parents or friends, do you say, I, I, I don't really have that big of a problem? How many times do you say, I, I'm not really as bad as you're making? How many times do you really receive when somebody calls you out on your sin? When one of us from the stage tells, us, tells you guys, hey, there's a problem here. That there's a lifestyle that's being reflected here, and man, you guys may be part of this lifestyle of a rebellious, sinful generation. How many of you guys would say, hey, man, no, that's not me? And to just really deflect that. Or do you really receive and say, man, maybe, maybe my lifestyle is reflecting that? Maybe the way I'm living is reflecting a rebellious generation. Maybe my, I'm reflecting a lifestyle that doesn't want anything to do with Jesus and rejects that. Or do you just deflect? That's exactly what she does here. You see, the fact is that if we wanted to be, if he wanted to be like the rest of the Jews, Jesus wouldn't have gone through Samaria. Let me say it again. If Jesus wanted to be like the rest of the Jews, he wouldn't have gone through Samaria. So put that map up. So this is something that we have to understand about that, about that time. So if you see the map, and Jesus would have been starting from Judea going to Galilee. Most Jews did not like to go through Samaria because they didn't want any kind of interaction or contact with the Samaritans. See, they believed that the Samaritans were the hybrid of a Jew and a Gentile, a Jew who, who was of, the, of the, the Judaic line lineage, but also, man, mixed with non-Jews. So they were kind of tainted. And so there was this, this argument of the, 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 the Samaritans saying, hey, no, we are real Jews. We, are, we have Jewish blood in us. And the Jews were saying, no, you have been tainted and you are a hybrid. We don't want anything to do with you. And so there's this argument happening among many other things, but this was one of them. And so what the Jew would do is say, man, we want, we want nothing to do with the Samaritans. So whenever we have to go to Galilee, we're going to just skip around you guys to get wherever we got to go. So they would start at Judea, which is the bottom of the map, and they would go all the way around, following the green line, all the way just to get to Galilee, even though it was faster to go through Samaria. Even though it would cut down the trip by a day or two to go through Samaria. But they were so disgusted, they didn't want nothing to do with the Samaritans. Jesus, get this, this is, this is the Savior that we have. This is the pursuing God that we have. Jesus does not take the long way around. He does not take the extra two-day trip, but he goes straight through the heart of Samaria. Being a Jew, taking a route that most Jews wouldn't take, he takes this route and he encounters this woman at the well. And understand, 
everything in him should have been, hey, no, red flag, understand. His body should have told him, hey, listen, you're going to get tired. You don't, his Jewishness in him should have told him, hey, listen, you're a Jew. You don't cut through. But his divinity, understand, his divinity would not allow him to do it because it was almost like a divine appointment that he had to, to, meet, to meet this woman at the well. He had to go through Samaria. Being God, having this appointment to meet this woman, he had to go through Samaria. And, and, and that's literally what it says in verse 4. Look at what verse 4 says. It says, quote, he had to travel through Samaria. He had to. He didn't have a choice. His divinity had an appointment with this woman. It was pursuing her. I understand. It knew exactly, his divinity knew exactly when she would be there. As a Samaritan woman, contact with men was kind of shied upon. It, it, was, it was kind of taboo for women and men to kind of dialogue. And Samaritan women at, at that, and the Jew with a Samaritan at that was frowned upon. And so this Samaritan woman, being a Samaritan woman, she knew what times of the day to be at the well. She knew exactly what time that she can go to the well and I have to interact with anybody. Where she could just be by herself and get water by herself and not have to dialogue with anybody. She knew exactly when to be there. Literally did she know that Jesus knew exactly when she would be there. He knew exactly what time he had to be there to pursue her in a relationship. He knew exactly when she would be there. It was noon. The text says it clearly that it was about noon when she arrived. And she possibly was there every day at the same time. And she had made that trip and went to that well and never had to interact with any men or anybody. But today, Jesus, pursuing her with all he is, encounters this woman and changes her life. Understand this. Jesus restores this woman's Spirit and restores some of the hearts of these Jews by doing this. And that's our second point. Jesus' truth restores. Jesus' truth restores. Look at what verse 21 says. It says, verse 21, Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. You worship, we worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such worship people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, Jesus speaks of a time where all believers will worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman started talking about all these political things. She starts to bring up all these political issues. And Jesus is like, listen, that doesn't matter. See, understand that there's a time coming where people won't worship on mountains or in temples. Listen, that stuff won't really matter, man. There's a time coming where you're going to worship God in your spirit and in your truth. And that will be enough. And that's exactly what God wants. See, he says these words because he understands that she is neither worshiping God in spirit or in truth. She is not walking in truth and hasn't walked in truth in a long time. Let me ask you a question. Are you walking? Are you living in truth? 
Let me say it again. Are you walking and living in truth? Oh, chef, what does that mean? Okay. When was the last time you were really honest with yourself? Like, I mean, really brutally honest about who you are today. About your relationship with God or the lack thereof. Your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your friends. When was the last time you were truly, brutally honest with yourself and walking in truth? My guess is for many of us, it's been a while. Because what happens is when you walk in truth, when you start to walk in brutal honesty, man, you start to change. Things start to happen. Your, your life starts to look different. And it, it, if we're honest, it hurts to be that honest sometimes. And the, and the truth is that she was faced with right here in this, this passage is, man, that Jesus was pursuing her with everything he had. The truth is for her that Jesus had really came and met her where she was in the midst of her sin. The truth was that Jesus was talking about a time where he was going to lay himself down for her and give her a new life, a life of living water, of eternal life. He was telling her, man, listen, you are talking to the person who grants eternal life. Would you, would you see me for who I am? That my blood will be spilled for you and you will have eternal life if you would accept this. That I've died, I will die for you one day. Jesus was talking about a truth that was coming. The truth restores and it restored this woman and it restores you and I today. And he was talking about this because, man, he was about to do something. He was getting ready to do what he said he was going to do because he was who he said he was. Let me say it again. Jesus was who he said he was. And that's our last point. In verse 25 it says this. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain to us, Jesus told her, I the one speaking to you am he. Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. He professed to be the Christ. And he, he was going to prove it by ultimately laying his life down for you and I on the cross. So, you, so <laughs> speaking about adoption, you know, you know what's the worst thing in adoption? When, when, you, you, when you're in the process and you're in the process of about to be adopted. You, you've met with a family, and this happens all the time. you met with a family and you feel like they like you and you like them, and then they end up going with a different kid. And then a social worker has to come and tell you, hey, listen, hey, hey, they, they, they went with somebody else. They, they, they decided to adopt another kid. And then you know what happens? You get this rejection feeling all over again. And you have to start the process all over again. As a kid trying to be adopted, that is the worst feeling. But there's a kid who experienced worse than that. This kid is, his name is Adyam Sabis. And he's from Russia. This is his picture. He's from Russia. And he was seven years old when he was adopted by a woman in the U.S. 
And as he's being adopted, he is meeting with this person and, and she's looking at his father, looking at all the bad things. And then they finally, she says, you know, I want him. I've pursued him. I want to bring him to America from Russia. I will adopt Ivels. And so they bring him to the U.S. And she starts to notice that, hey, this, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Hey, this is, this is not... What I, what, I, what, I, what I thought an adoption, what, what a son was going to be like. Hey, hey, there, there's some things about him that, man, I, I didn't know. Hey, he, hey, he's not who you guys said he was. Hey, he's not acting the way I wanted him to act. Hey, 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 he's not listening the way he should be. Hey, I don't know if he is who you said he is. Man, aren't we happy that, that Jesus is who he says he is? But listen, it gets, it gets better. So after six months of her figuring out and seeing that he's not who they said he was and that he has all these mental issues and these, these, these problems, she's like, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't want him anymore. I've adopted him and I brought him from the Russia to the America and I've, I've signed all the paperwork and all the legal. He's officially mine, but I don't want him. So you know what she did? She stuck a letter in his hand, a seven-year-old boy. Stuck a letter in his hand that says, I don't want him anymore. And put him on a plane back to Russia by himself. The same boy who has been longing to be adopted. The same boy that has felt unwanted his entire life. The same boy who's been longing for a mom and dad and be part of a family. Was finally adopted but sent back because the mom didn't like the way he was acting. He was sent back by himself to Russia, seven-year-old boy. I want y'all to know something. That Jesus is who he says he is. And you know who he says he is? He says that he's the savior of the world. That he's the alpha, the omega. He's the author of salvation. But he also is saying that he, he will never leave us or forsake us. And we can trust that, that we would never be like him. We would never be adopted into the family of God and then sent back because of our sin. That would never happen. And I feel like some of you are struggling to accept that, that, man, you feel like if you mess up that you're done. So you don't want to commit to anything because you're afraid that Jesus is going to send you back and, man, just break off the deal of saving you. And that is not how it works. Man, we serve a God who will never leave us. And never forsake us. Never send us back. Because the sins we commit, he's died for. Our past sins, he's died for. Our present sins, the ones we're walking and making today when we leave these seats. The sins we're making in our brain right now, the thoughts he's died for. And then the future sins that we haven't even committed yet, he's died for. Because he is a just and good God. Do you know him?